Hello, welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Ray and we've got Easter weekend coming up, which should be good. The weather forecast is excellent. So I might even put my shorts on and scare the (laughs) neighbours. We will see. Susan, thank you for correcting me. Kindergarten. That's how it's pronounced, kindergarten. But as Susan pointed out, it depends, you know, English accents and wherever you come from. It might be a little bit different. I think I said kindergarten or guard. guard I don't know what I said now. Something ridiculous. Thank you, Susan, also for the donation. That's lovely of you. And thank you for your lovely comments. Thank you to everyone that's emailed me. It really is nice to hear from people, especially with suggestions, <laughs> rude or otherwise. It's great to read the emails. I like it. So, right, what are we doing? I'm going to talk about villages. Do you remember the village life? I'll come to that in a minute. First of all, um, have I done a weather report? I can't remember. I've recorded this episode. Uh, I did the whole village episode earlier in the week, and it's now later in the week, if you see what I mean, just for the introduction. I did that because I found myself home alone, and I thought, well, I might as well get on with the podcast. As the as the house is quiet, it's quiet now. Trish has gone out and it's quiet. <laughs> oh dear. Yes, um, Susan was saying, and other people have asked me in the past about this, do my family listen to the podcast episodes? Some of them do, some don't. I think some get bored. The The younger, well, the grandchildren, I was going to say younger, they're not young anymore. The grandchildren are in their teens. Uh, the children, or we call them children, my son who lives in America, 40-something, is I, can't, I don't know how old he is. He's the one that says... <laughs> now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's 40-something. He lives in America. And I know he listens to the podcast episode. So, hello to Hello, Ray. I, I know it's confusing. We're both called Ray. It was confusing. Because when he was young, uh, his mum would shout out, Ray, and we both say, yes. <laughs> and then look at each other. Which one of us does she want? Oh, I don't know. We go and hide. (laughs) There we are. Happy days. Okay. um, The weather. Yes, that's going to be nice for the weekend. Thanks for all your emails. I won't dither about anymore. Let's get on. I don't know whether you remember going back. Must be a couple of years now. I talked about life in a village when I was a parish councillor. I think I called it Tales of a Parish Councillor, the episode. And that was followed by another one. Village life behind the facade. Do you remember all that? Mrs Fortescue and all that business. Further to that, there were other things that happened when I joined what was known locally as the Village Vigilantes. Now, don't go by the the title. That's just what the villagers called them. They weren't violent in any way at all. I think they called themselves the Village Watch Group or something like that. It was like a modern-day neighbourhood watch that we have now, but this was way before Neighbourhood Watch existed. I'll go back to the 70s. And it was a dozen people, and all they did really was keep an eye on the village, keep an eye on security, traffic going through, make sure no one was going too fast through the village. Uh, Many people just thought that they were a damn nuisance, to be honest. But they invited me, because I knew about electrical bits and pieces. I was a radio amateur, and uh, I I worked from home working on electrical equipment. And they said, look, you know, we we need advice on security outside lighting. They didn't have security lights as such in those days. But outside lighting, they wanted someone with electrical knowledge. 
Now, word had got round and I'd built my own burglar alarm. I'd put switches on the doors and a bell and I had a relay box and a backup battery and all this. And it worked very well. And they got to hear of this and they said, would I join the group? Because my knowledge would be useful. They didn't want me to build burglar alarms for people. They just felt that with my knowledge of electrical stuff, that I'd be a useful contributor to the group, which was fair enough. The chap I was talking to, he said, uh, come and meet, meet everyone in the pub tonight. You know, we're all, all going to meet down there. Come and meet them and see what you think. Well, as the meeting was in the pub, that had to be a good idea. I didn't like meetings in village halls, church halls or anywhere else. But in the pub, that was a different matter altogether. So I got there at whatever time it was, he said. He was there with a couple of other chaps that I was introduced to. And they were just talking about security, about uh, how they put leaflets through doors, tell people to shut their windows properly, to lock up when they go out. Already I was beginning to think, I, I don't want to do this. It really isn't me. It's like the parish council. When I was invited to become a parish councillor, I went and said yes, and then regretted it within a few hours, basically. I did last a while on the parish council, but it really wasn't me. I was in my 20s. I was too young for all this. So the three of us were sitting there having a beer and a chat. Then another chap came along and he joined us. And then a young lady turned up and she was Jane, the treasurer. Now, it turned out that the group had quite a lot of money. People used to donate. This is what Jane was telling me. People would donate. And what that actually meant was the group members would go around knocking doors and say, come on, give us a, a pound or two so we can buy equipment and protect the village. And of course, people just said, oh, all right, you know, there's a pound, go away. But they had a lot of money. I didn't know how much, but they had quite a lot of money. So much so that Jane was the treasurer. They had their own bank account for the group. Now, all that's beside the point, really, because Jane was rather lovely. And I, I took an instant, an instant liking to water. I thought, this is lovely. I'm going to join the group. And then a little bit later, when all the 12 of them had arrived, there were, I think there were 12 of them, there were three other ladies that joined us, all in the group. So there were four females in the group and they were all fairly young. That was it for me. I, I, that's it. I'm in. I'm in the group. Yes, sign me up. And we had rather a good evening in the pub, having a few drinks and having a chat. And then the, the kind of owner, of the, was he the owner or whoever he was in charge of the group? He said, right, Ray, give me a phone number. What I'm going to do is distribute your phone number throughout the village and people then can come to you for security advice. And I'm thinking, security advice? What, what, what do you mean? Do I want everyone to have my phone number? Way back then, of course, there were no mobile phones. So I just said, yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, there's my phone number. I just kept looking at the young ladies in the group and thinking, this is worth it. This will be worth it. I know it's an awful way to carry on, but I was in my 20s and they were rather nice young ladies. So, I mean, that wasn't my only reason for joining the group. Well, it was, I can't lie. I think also with village life, I wanted to take part. I wanted to join in, which I sort of tried. Well, I hadn't tried. I was forced to do by becoming a parish councillor. That was too involved. I didn't want to do that. There was the Amateur Dramatic Society. I didn't want to get involved with that, with the vicar at his church hall. I didn't want that. I did help out with their lighting if they had problems, electrical problems with the lighting. But I did want to get involved in village life as much as I could without tying myself down too much. And I thought, well, OK, this vigilante group, it'll be fine. 
I couldn't imagine anyone phoning me and saying, could you check my windows or whatever? I didn't think that would happen. How wrong I was. Within a couple of days, the phone rang. Is that the vigilante group? I said, no, no, it's the village watch group or whatever it was called. I said, I'm Ray. Oh, Ray, you're the security man, aren't you? Uh, Yes, I am, I suppose, yeah. A security man. My name's Miranda. It's about my back door. I said, okay, what's the problem with the back door? Well, I'm not sure how secure it is. I've got a couple of bolts and a lock, but I just like it checked. I said, well, if you've got two bolts, like top and bottom, then the lock in the middle, that should be fine. Oh, but I'd feel so much better if you could come and have a look. Yes, yes, all right, I'll come and have a look. And I was thinking, I got her address, I was thinking, this won't be too bad. If I get perhaps one or two phone calls a week like this, I can do that. That's not a problem. Here's the thing. Miranda was in her early 30s. She lived on her own. And she was an extremely attractive, beautiful lady. And when she said, oh, well, come in, come and, come and check my back door, I was, I was in there like a shot. I mean, my, my only interest, I have to be honest, my interest was the security of her back door, you understand. Nothing to do with her being an extremely attractive young lady. So she showed me through the hall to the kitchen that there's the back door and it was perfectly all right. A decent bolt at the top, a decent bolt at the bottom, a good chub type lock in the middle. And I said, well, what's wrong with that? There was no double glazing then. This is the 70s, remember? I said, what's wrong with that? Oh, I just wanted you to check just to make sure. While you're here, could you check the other rooms? Could you check the dining room? Because there's a a door, French doors, out onto the garden. So yes, okay, we looked at the dining room, French doors. To be honest, they weren't very secure. Two little doors that opened and sort of met in the middle, and they weren't very secure at all. And I told her that. I said, really, you want some kind of decent lock, top and bottom on these? She didn't take any notice of what I was saying at all. She'd gone back to the kitchen. I followed her. I was trying to tell her about the, the little French doors and how she should secure them. And she said, would you like a drink? I've got coffee. And I said, no, 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 thanks. I've got cold beer in the fridge. Oh, I said, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'll have a beer. That's a different matter altogether. So we sat at the kitchen table. She poured herself a glass of wine and we're chatting. Well, I was chatting about security. She wasn't. She's asking questions about me. How long have you lived in the village? I haven't seen you before. How long have you been the security man for the vigilantes? I said to her, well, I'm not the security man for the vigilantes. It made it sound like some awfully violent group of thugs. You know, it wasn't like that at all. And I realised after only a few minutes that she'd invited me round for company. Nothing to do with the back door. The back door was fine and she knew it. She just wanted me to go round there for a drink. It turned out that her parents had gone abroad. They got out there to work or whatever, I can't remember, and basically left her in this bungalow on her own. I mean, she wasn't a child, obviously. She was in her 30s, she had a job, but she was lonely. And she found, she said to me, she found village life terribly boring. And she did admit to phoning me because she wanted some company, someone to have a beer and a a glass of wine with. She also said during the evening, because I stayed around there for quite some time having a few drinks, she said that she had seen me around the village, so she knew what I looked like. Because I said to her, I could have been some old man in my 70s. She said, no, 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 I've seen you around the village. So that was my first, what can I call her, customer? (laughs) Victim? No, not victim. What am I saying? If you recall the other two episodes a couple of years ago, as I've said about the tales of a parish councillor and behind the village facade 
uh, whatever it was called. I said then that village life was, it, it was lovely. It was lovely, but it was weird. All these things going on, you know, you see a, a quaint little English village. There's the village green. There are flower borders alongside the roads, the, the curbside, all looking very nice. It all looks so lovely and twee. And yet behind the scenes, there's all this, it's like midsummer murders. Well, not quite that bad. People weren't murdering each other. Well, not as far as I knew anyway. But there was adultery going on and eternal triangles and all sorts of lying and cheating going on. I mean, it was quite terrible, really. When I look back, it was quite awful. I suppose at the time, because I was in the midst of it all and not looking from kind of outside the box, that's an awful expression, isn't it? Being in the midst of it all, I didn't realise. I just thought it was all good fun. I've often looked back to those times in the village and I think what it was, being a, it was fairly remote. The nearest town was quite a, a few miles away. I suppose women, either whether they were teenage girls or in their 30s or even 40s, if they were on their own, I suppose they felt cut off. They were bored. There was no real life in the village for teenagers or single women. They were stuck with the, the village hall. They were stuck with the amateur dramatic society in the church hall. There was the tennis club. There was the vicar, who I've told you about in previous episodes. He was, um, well, he, he was far from a man of the cloth. He was rather naughty, if you remember. If you don't remember the episodes, go back, have a look. Tales of a Parish Councillor and Village Life Behind the Facade. Have a look at those two. Well, not a look, you know what I mean, have a listen. But as I say, looking back, I think people just felt cut off, especially the younger women. They're cut off, they're on their own in the village, and it's boring. So someone like me comes along, the vigilante group security man, and they think, oh, give him a phone call, he can come round and we'll have a couple of beers and a chat. Miranda phoned me once a week with some security problem or other, and it became a bit of a joke. She'd ring me and I'd say, well, hello, Miranda, how are you? It's my front door lock, or it's my bedroom window. I think the latch is broken. Could you pop round and have a look? And I'd say, oh, well, I don't know. I'm rather busy. I've got beers in the fridge. OK, Miranda, I'll see if I can get there in about half an hour. Give me half an hour. It just became a, a bit of fun between us. As I say, every week she'd phone with some other security problem. And there were no security problems at all. She knew it and I knew it. And we used to spend the evening together having a few drinks and having a bit of fun. There was this old boy, Eric. He started phoning me on a regular basis. Oh, hello, Ray. Could you come and have a look at this? Could you come and have a look at that? I'm worried about my phone. I think there's a loose connection. Could you come and have a look? I used to go around there because he, he just wanted company. He was, what, he must have been in his 80s. And he wanted some company. I didn't mind that. He only lived down the road from me. So I'd pop round there. We'd have a cup of tea and a chat for an hour or so. It was only perhaps once a week or even less than that. But uh, I didn't mind that because he was on his own. And he used to tell me about his wife who'd passed on and he was in the war. He told me about the war and it was very interesting actually. So so he was another regular. I was supposed to be the security guy, not some kind of, I don't know, agony aunt or home help or whatever, but I didn't mind it. Eric was a lovely old chap. He was nice. In fact, I got home one day, I'd been out and uh, there was a, an envelope on the doormat and it hadn't been posted. It was um, not the postman. It was hand delivered. So it was addressed to me. I opened it. 
There's 500 pounds in there, in cash, 500. I knew it was from Eric. He denied it because I confronted him. I took it round there and said, look, I don't want this. I don't want your money. No, not for me. He said, not for me. I haven't got any money. And I said, yes, you have. You told me that, that you don't believe in banks and you hide all your cash around the house. He said, yeah, but I haven't got that much. I, I was sure it was him. He wouldn't take it back. Perhaps it wasn't him. I don't know. Well, it was him, obviously. So 500 in cash. That was very, very nice of him. I knew it was him. And that was a lovely gesture. I loved village life and I do miss it. I must say, even now I miss it, even though it was decades ago. I loved the, the red phone box, the, the red pillar box outside the small post office. There was a, a chemist, not a pharmacy. It was a chemist. There was the paper shop, little green grocers, a butcher's, electrical shop, just a small row of shops in the centre of the village. The village pub, of course. And as I've said, the tennis club, which I kept away from, to be honest. There were one or two people. Mrs Fortescue used to go there. So I kept away from her. Fortunately, she didn't ever phone me. I, I thought that she'd be on the phone if she got my number. Maybe she didn't put two and two together. Maybe she didn't realise it was me who was the, you know, the security man. I don't know. But luckily, she didn't ever phone me. But I loved the village green in the summer. The children would play on the village green. We'd have fates where... People would come along and sell their homemade jam and homemade marmalade and cakes. It was great. It was just a quaint little English village, which I love. The th what they're doing now, there's another village near where I live. Nothing to do with the one I, I lived in. Another village. And between the village and the, the town, there's a field. And builders want to build on the field obviously, because they want to make a lot of money. Builders want, they build houses because they make money. It isn't to house people at all. And there's quite a, a large group of people that are against this. I'm against it. Not Nothing to do with me. I mean, I, I don't live in the village. I never have. But this big field, this big patch of field, it separates the village from the town. And the only reason I don't want it built on, it's nowhere near me, I'm the other end of the town, the only reason I don't want it built on is because that way the village is then kind of mingled into the town. It all becomes one. Instead of a separate village and a separate town, it all merges into one and you lose a village, basically. That's why I don't want it built on. And I think it's a shame because there are many, many villages over the years. I was listening to Jack Hargreaves Someone did a, a film of Jack Hargreaves. Do you remember him? Out of Town and uh, what was the other programme he did? I can't remember. Out of Town was the main one. And he was talking about villages in, was it Dorset, that have been lost. They don't exist anymore. They've gone. And that's what I thought. If we start building between villages and towns, well, like London. London, decades ago, hundreds of years ago, was separate villages. And all the villages became London, one huge city. So all the separate little villages don't exist anymore. Well, they, they've just been eaten up, haven't they? Engulfed in this mass of concrete. I just think it's a shame. I know there's a housing shortage. There always has been housing shortage, isn't there? When I think back to when I was young, I remember people saying, oh, there aren't enough houses. People are saying the same thing now. But I do think you should be careful where you build, especially floodplains. Oh, why do people build on floodplains? And then when all the houses are built and occupied, people say, oh, look, the road's flooded. I wonder why that is. Well, it's a floodplain you've built on. I don't know. Still won't go on about floodplains. 
where we live, we are on quite a high point in the town. I think someone said this was the highest point, actually. So there's no fear of flooding here. Well, not unless something drastic happens. But I do like villages. I like driving out into the countryside some weekends, or even in the week now I'm retired. Uh, we drive, Trish and I drive out, and we'll look at little villages. And it's lovely, especially if there's a red phone box and a little village shop, you know, and the village pub. None of them are making any money because no one lives there anymore. <laughs> well, they do. There are villages there, but they're not making any money. But it's lovely, and I would just hate to see the villages disappear, all be eaten up by these huge concrete towns. But going back to the village I lived in, when I was a, <laughs> a security vigilante man, I mustn't keep using the word vigilante, that was a lovely village. But as I've said, there were so many behind-the-scene surprises going on. I remember the local Bobby, the village copper, because we had a, a police station which basically was a police house. It was just a house. And I remember the village copper, he cycled round to me. It was only down the road where his place was, his house. And he cycled round to me and he said, I hear you're the security chap, you know, for the vigilantes. And I said, well, yeah, it looks that way. <laughs> I, got to, you know, I got to know him over the years. And he said, what about this business with parking? They, they put parking tickets on people's cars. And I said, oh, I know, that's nothing to do with me, I know. And he said, well, they can't do that. And I said, well, tell them, not me. I said to him, you know, is it illegal? And he said, well, I don't think so. It's just a note they put under a windscreen wiper. Do not park here. <laughs> and uh, they had their own things printed, their own kind of parking tickets printed. They didn't find people. It was just a fairly rude printed message saying, don't park here or else. I don't know what the or else was. <laughs> But the copper, he said to me, his main reason for coming round was there had been several reports of someone sneaking around gardens, looking in garden sheds, nicking tools from the sheds or whatever. And he just said, uh, could you keep your eye open? He was going round telling all sorts of people. He hadn't come to me especially. So I said, yes, of course. And I laughed because I said, uh, as I'm the vigilante thug, <laughs> he laughed as well. I said, I will keep an eye out for anyone robbing sheds or whatever it is they're doing. And uh, he was a good chap, actually. That, that I got to know him quite well, that village policeman. Of course, in the end, they did away with him, did away with his bicycle. The police house was sold and a family moved into it. So that was that. We no longer had a, a local police station, which is a shame. See, that's something else that's gone, isn't it? So I won't rant and rave about that, but that was a great shame. I used to like seeing him cycle round the village. Everyone did. It was a little bit of security. It gave people some comfort. You know, he'd cycle round and, you all right? Yeah, fine, thanks. He knew people. He got to know everyone on, on his route that he cycled round. Everyone knew where he was. You could pop in there. It was, it was just lovely. Because these days you don't even see a, a copper in the middle of the busy town. I don't know where they've all gone. But apart from whoever it was robbing sheds and sneaking around people's gardens, he said that they were looking through windows like a peeping Tom. Do you remember peeping Toms? Like, do they have peeping Toms anymore? I don't know. That's where a chap would walk along the road, looking at people's front rooms, their windows. If there's a crack in the curtains, he'd sneak across the front garden or up the drive and have a look. And he'd spy through the crack in the curtains to see what the people were doing. I don't know whether they have peeping Toms anymore. Why are they called peeping Toms? I've no idea. Anyway... When we had one of our group meetings, 
with the four lovely ladies, especially Jane with all the money in the bank. <laughs> uh, this was brought up. It was mentioned. And someone said, I think it was the chap that ran the group, Derek his name was, Derek said, I know who it is. Of course, we're all looking at it. Well, who? Who is it? Who is it? And he said it was the vicar. Now, do you remember I talked about the vicar? I could well believe it when he said that. Do you remember I talked about the vicar? He was a young vicar. He was always after the girls. And I said to Derek, I reckon you're right. I know the vicar of old. He said, well, don't we all? So he said, right, Ray, your job as security, <laughs> as a security thug. No, he didn't say that. He said, Ray, your job is to track the vicar down, follow him, see what he's up to, and then report back to the group. Honestly, it was, I don't know, it was funny. It was, in a way, it was all a big joke. But in another way, it was quite a good idea for the village. The group was quite a good idea. Because, you know, we were, I mean, I was helping people with security. We were helping people with other things. I don't know about the parking tickets. That was a bit silly. But I think that even though we were known as the, the village vigilantes, I think people really did quite like the idea of having us around. I remember there was a teenage lad on a bike, a bicycle. He used to race around the village. I don't think he was from the village. I think he was from uh, the town. And he'd race around on the pavements, not on the road, on the pavements, almost knocked a couple of people over. And of course, it, it came to our attention, the, the vigilante group's attention. And one of the group members, I forget his name, was it Malcolm? I think it was Malcolm. He, he lay in wait for this chap and he had a broom handle. And he said, to us, I'll sort him out. And I thought, no, you can't assault people with a broom handle. But what he did was he hid behind this hedge. He knew the, the route that this, this kid usually took. He hid behind the hedge. And he said to me that he had to wait hours each day. He was there. He was really determined to get this lad. And one evening he saw him racing along the, the footpath, the pavement, and he stuck the, the broom handle through the lad's front wheel. Of course, it, it locked the front wheel. The lad went over the handlebars. Luckily, he was all right. He landed in the hedge. His bike was written off. And the lad was OK. But uh, he didn't do that again. He just certainly didn't do that again. I must admit, I didn't agree. At the next meeting, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. He could have been seriously injured. I didn't think that was a good idea at all. And uh, the chap that did it, Malcolm, he said, well... We haven't seen him since, have we? And I said, well, no, he's probably in hospital. No, he wasn't. But I did jokingly say he's probably in hospital. Going back to the shed robber and the peeping Tom, I had a phone call one evening from a lady. Her husband worked overtime. He worked night shifts or something. She was home alone. And she phoned me and said there's someone in the back garden. So I went rushing round there. She had said that the, the side gate was open. She reckoned that's how he got in. So when I got there, I went through the side gate. It was dusk, I suppose, not dark, it was dusk. And I heard someone rummaging about in the shed. There were sort of several clumps of bushes in the garden, quite a large garden. So I hid behind the bushes. I thought, what I want to do, I don't want to go in there and start a fight. Case is bigger than me. <laughs> so I hid and I could see this figure come out of the shed. He was carrying a fork. But what he did was he walked across the lawn and was spying in the dining room, which yeah, would have been the dining room window, the back window. I recognised him instantly. It was the vicar. We all thought it would be the vicar. The vicar had a reputation. 
when it came to spying on ladies and girls and chatting up girls and things, he really did have a, a reputation. So I went over to him and I said, good evening, Vicar, and his face. Oh, 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 uh, 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 hello, Ray. I'm, I'm just, uh, and I said, yes, I know what you're just doing. Oh, no, 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 I, I'm just, I promised the lady that I'd do a little bit of gardening for her. And I said, well, it's getting dark. And she's just phoned me and told me that there's some prowler in the back garden. Oh, no, 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 honestly, that, that's what I was doing. I was looking for the prowler. And it, obviously it was all lies. So I said to him, look, put the fork back and don't do this again. Are you going to tell the group? Are you going to tell the group? I said, no, put the fork back. I said, I won't tell anyone if you just stop doing this. So he crept back down to the shed, put the fork back in there. And I said to him, what, what are you doing with all these garden tools you're nicking? And he said, well, I'm selling them to people to get money for the, from the church. I said, well, you can't do that. You can't steal things to get money for the church. I, I wasn't sure whether to believe him or not. I didn't want to drop him in it. I knew he had a, a was, was it a problem? He had a bit of a problem where young ladies were concerned. He couldn't keep his eyes or probably his hands off them. So I thought, well, I've caught him. I won't drop him in it. I won't uh, dob him in. <laughs> That's a funny expression. I won't dob him in if he promised not to do it again, which he did promise. So that was that. And I went inside and I said to the lady, I said, there's no one out there. Whoever it was has gone. So that was that little incident over. The vicar after that, the vicar, whenever I saw him, he always looked guilty. And so he should. Oh, I forgot to tell you this, Derek, this leader of the, the group, he'd had these badges made, metal badges, and we all, had, we all had to wear a badge. I, what did it say on it? Village Security Group or something like that. We had to wear these little metal badges on our jackets. And he then got us hats, you know, like a peaked cap type thing, like police or whoever wear. And I said to him, I'm not wearing that. You know, come on. Uh, Jane laughed. Actually, I got on very well with Jane. She started popping round to see me to discuss a uh, group business of course and uh, we got on extremely well we went out with each other in the end for uh, well, quite a few months she left unfortunately she left she moved up to London so that was that that of course left the the post of treasurer vacant uh, which I certainly didn't want anything to do with I didn't want anything to do with any money one of the other ladies took took that over I forget her name Jean it was that's it Jean Jean the treasurer and she, once she was in charge of the money, she said that we should start spending it because it was building up. So this Derek, he said, oh, we should have proper uniforms. And we're all saying, no, 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 we don't want uniform. I mean, can you imagine walking around the village in uniforms, you know, with a, a peaked cap and a badge? I mean, he, he was really over the top with it all. He, he just loved it. He lived for the group. He really did live for it. It was his life. Whereas for the rest of us, it was... I suppose I can't speak for them really, but for me it was it was a bit of fun, it was a good laugh, but there was the serious side to it. And as I've said, I, I think the villagers, although they begrudgingly sort of put a pound or two in the hat when people went door knocking, <laughs> I didn't go door knocking for money. They, they did that begrudgingly, but I think secretly they thought it was a, a good idea and they didn't mind paying up. And as I said, I think they like the idea. It's a shame there aren't more. I know we've got Neighbourhood Watch these days, haven't we? I don't quite know what they do. I think we've got a local Neighbourhood Watch here. I'm not actually a member of that. 
But what we do have in our road is a WhatsApp group, uh, a Facebook group, and we do we keep in touch, you know, through that. If there's a, a car that's been parked somewhere and it's been there for like a week or more, then you get a bit of group activity. Anyone know what that car's doing there? And someone else will comment. In fact, there was something like that a little while ago. And it was a chap down the road. He said, oh, sorry, it's my car. It's broken down and there was a bit of a story behind it. So it is rather good. There was also, there were some lads um, checking car doors at night, in the, you know, when it was dark at night, and someone had them on their security camera. And all that was circulated around the group, you know, look out for these lads, make sure you lock your car, don't keep valuables in your car. So yeah, we do have a little thing like that. And of course, we don't have a local policeman, which I think is really sad. I, I would really like to see a copper going up and down the road on a bike. Or just passing, even if it's just once a day, just go past on his bike and say, hello, everything all right? That would be fantastic. I wonder whether that would ever come back. I doubt it very much. Just going back to the peeping Tom Vicar briefly. I didn't tell the group it was him. Just said I hadn't seen anyone. I've been prowling around at night myself looking for people. Didn't see anyone. And of course, it all came to an end anyway. The prowler disappeared. Of course, the vicar didn't disappear. He was, <laughs> he was still in the pub. Most evenings, chatting up the barmaid, eyeing up the girls. I don't know what, what made him become a vicar. I used to wonder that quite often. Why become a vicar? Maybe it was because he could mingle with the community. Maybe go around people's houses, mix with the, the young ladies or, or whatever. I don't know. Perhaps that's why. The thing about village life is everyone knows everyone else's business. Oh, so-and-so's pregnant. That's their second child on the way. She's left her husband. Did you know that? She's walked out on her husband. He's seeing some other woman. It goes on and on, the gossip. There are always gossips in the villages, aren't there? I suppose everywhere. And we had a gossip. She really was awful. Actually, she was awful. They used to call her Poison Ivy. I think her name was Mabel. She was, I don't know, old. Well, she seemed old to me. I was in my 20s, so anyone over 40 was old. <laughs> but she was always gossiping. She'd go into the pub. She wasn't at all adverse to a few glasses of sherry in the pub. Or do you remember milk stout? Do you remember that milk stout? Ina Sharples used to drink that. And Minnie Coldwell um, in Coronation Street. And Martha, was it Martha Longhurst? The three of them in the snug in the Rovers, uh, Rovers Return, Coronation Street. Anyway, that's nothing to do with it. But this gossip lady, she'd sit in the pub listening to people's conversations, trying to pick up on gossip, things she could twist and then go and spread. She always twisted things. No one believed a word she said anyway. So, yeah, Mabel was her name. Used to sit there with her. It wasn't milk stout. She'd have either sherry or, was it? I can't remember what it was in bottles. Oh, never mind. Doesn't matter what it was. What one or two of us used to do was uh, we'd sit within earshot of her and then start talking about someone, someone in the village, but we wouldn't give a name. We'd say, do you know she's pregnant again? Really? Yeah, she is. And her husband, he left her a year ago. So who is that? Who is the father? And of course, she, her ears would prick up and she'd be listening. And we'd make up all these stories and come out with dreadful things. I hear the post office was robbed again last night. Was it? Yeah, they got in the back door, same as they did last week. The post office hadn't been robbed at all. Of course, then she's going around telling everyone, oh, the post office has been robbed. And they're saying, what are you talking about? Of course it hasn't. It was great. That was, I love that. It really was great fun. I love that. 
I must admit, I did have a bit of fun to my well, my, to my advantage because Jane had left. Uh, I was looking at this other girl in the group. She was again older than me. They're all in their thirties. I was in my twenties, but th- that didn't matter. The age gap didn't matter. This other girl, she called herself Daisy. I think her name was Delia, or was it Delilah? I can't remember. We all knew her as Daisy, and she wasn't Daisy at all. So I said in front of this gossip to one of my friends there one evening, I said, of course, you know what? I'm really in love with Daisy. And this chap, I told him what I was going to do. And he said, oh, are you, have you told her? And I said, well, no, I'm too shy. I'd love to ask Daisy out for a drink, but I'm far too shy. And of course, this old Mabel, she's sitting there sipping her, her sherry, <laughs> listening to all this, taking notes mentally. And I knew or I hoped that it would get back to Daisy. So Daisy might, I mean, it's a whole thing was ridiculous. Daisy might approach me and start chatting me up. This was the idea. It was a bit naughty, really. But the funny thing is, it worked. A couple of days later, we were in the pub and we this Daisy came in and she came and sat next to me, which she'd never done before. She just sat anywhere, made a point of sitting next to me, made a point of chatting to me. And she said, oh, it's so nice that you're here. I'm so pleased to see you. You know how much I like you. And I thought, good grief, it's worked. This old woman, this old gossip, Poison Ivy, she'd obviously told Daisy that, oh, Ray's in love with you. He wants to ask you out, but he's shy. Honestly, I just burst out laughing. And she said, well, what's the matter? What's wrong? I didn't tell her. But yeah, we went out together for a few months. And then she left. She moved away. I don't know what it was. I had that effect. <laughs> I had that effect on women. I go out with them for a few months and they move to London or down to the West Country or, or go abroad or whatever. They just <laughs> leave the country. Was I that bad, really? <laughs> I know I'm always saying this, but I really do miss those days. The, the, the local pub, that was the heart of the village. It was the heart of, even in towns, the heart of local communities. I don't think it is anymore. Pubs these days, well, I rarely go to a pub. Trish and I, we, we've got our local club that we go to, which is quite nice. But pubs, they've all gone. The pubs that are left, they're not pubs anymore. They're restaurants. They're all to do with food. You don't get the, the locals, the regulars, all standing at the bar having a chat. What sort of day have you had? Oh, yeah, not too bad. This happened and that happened. All that's gone, I'm afraid. There might be one or two pubs around that still has its locals, its regulars, but if there are any, I don't know of them. We have tried a few local pubs and they're okay. Nothing wrong with them. They do food. There's no one standing at the bar. There's no locals. There's no regulars anymore. It's just a few people sitting at tables. Every now and then someone will get up, go to the bar and get a drink. It's all changed. I like the old times. I remember on a Friday night in the local pub, it would be packed with people, six deep at the bar. It would easily, Friday and Saturday night, six deep. And you had to know the barmaid or the barman or the landlord. You had to because you'd wave from the back and they'd see you. Oh, yeah, it's a regular, he wants a beer. And they'd take it round to where they, you know, the hatch was, where they'd come out to go and collect glasses, take it round there. And you get served. Whereas all the other people, six deep, they're all waiting to get served. Being a regular, being a local, that's not a problem you just get served straight away. And all that's gone. Am I a silly old fool for wanting those days back? I don't know. I really do miss them. I really do. 
I know I said earlier that I miss village life. It wasn't, don't get the wrong impression, don't get the wrong idea. We didn't live in each other's pockets. We didn't have neighbours in and out all the time. We had our, our space, our privacy, even though everyone did know what everyone else was up to most of the time. That's funny, especially in the pub. There was all the gossip in the pub, especially with old Mabel. But it wasn't all gossip. It was just, it was community. That's what it is. All this online social media stuff today, that I suppose that is now the community, isn't it? With the Facebook app and the WhatsApp thing we've got for our street. That's, I mean, we talk to each other, we'll go out into the street, we'll have a chat, hello, how are you doing? But everything's online these days. I don't know whether that's a good thing. It's a good thing with our group because we can keep an eye on each other's houses and check up on what's going on in the street. But I do miss that, that community in the pub, I think, and in the village. I, I suppose that's in the village. I suppose that's because we all met in the pub. Well, not the entire village. You didn't, <laughs> didn't have the entire village go to the pub every night. They never fit in there. But there was the, as I say, the vicar and his church and his church hall, the amateur dramatics thing that they did there. There was the village hall with the parish council meetings and other things. What went on there? On the village hall, there were the scout, the scouts, the girl guides met there. All sorts went on in the village hall, which was good. You know, it was all active jumble sales and things. Do you remember jumble sales? Of course, that's all gone now. It's all eBay. Then we'd have the fates on the green, as I said earlier, selling homemade jam and marmalade and cakes and stuff on the, on the tables, on the stools. That was all great fun. The kids joined in. A lot of people joined in. It was all great fun. It was all community spirit, I suppose. I don't know. That's all gone. Has it all gone? Let me know. Raise rants at protonmail.com. Or one word, raise rants at protonmail.com. Do you remember that? If you're my sort of age or older, do you miss all that? Or that the village, well, perhaps you didn't live in a village, but wherever you lived, even in the middle of London or any other big city or big town, you would have had your local pub. Perhaps you didn't go to the pub, I don't know. Not everyone went to the pub. I did. <laughs> I don't anymore. But do you remember your local pub where people would meet, all the regulars, the locals would meet and have a chat. Chat about politics. Oh, I think this is dreadful. I think that's awful. Chat about the weather. Well, we're British, we have to chat about the weather. Oh, rainy again. Yeah, it's going to rain again tomorrow. Doom and gloom. <laughs> happy days. They were happy days. I don't know what's gone wrong. I'm not going to go off on one now about various things that are going on with governments and things around the world and all the doom and gloom and the rest of it and all the, the politics that now politics these days is just dreadful. I mean, it was never good, but now it's worse than ever, politics. But there we are. I suppose times have changed. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't suppose in my lifetime, well, in anyone's lifetime, we'll ever see a, a copper riding past down the street on his bicycle Hi, all right, everything okay? Yeah, fine, thanks, Fred or Frank or whoever. It was good. You could wave the, wave him down. Hey, oh, Bill, Frank, come here a minute. Did you hear about so-and-so? I had his shed broken into it. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Yeah, it's all right, we know who it is. All this stuff. Local intelligence, wasn't it? If the local copper wanted to know anything or find out about something, ask the locals. Go into the local pub. I remember that. I remember our local copper coming into the pub. So, wait, right, you lot attention can I have your attention have you heard about this or just warning you about this or that you know he'd come in the local pub and even though he was on duty he'd have a beer <laughs> wasn't allowed to of course but 
No one was going to dob him in. Where did that come from? Dob him in. You don't dob in people. Anyone know that? Let me know. Where did that come from? I remember when I was younger, my mother saying, why are you always in the pub? Why do you go to the pub all the time? And I said, well, that's because that's where everyone goes. That's where all my friends go. We all meet in the pub. And I tried to explain to her that it's a community. That's where we go. If I don't go to the pub in the evening, what do I do? Sit at home and watch TV on my own? What do I do? Go for a walk, which is nice. I did that as well. Go for a country walk. But everyone went to the pub. Not every single night, but quite a few nights in the week, especially at weekends, we'd all meet in the pub, have a chat about, as I say, politics, work, relationships, you name it. We talked about it. It was it was lovely. It was just, it was like a club. Actually, the local pub was more like a, a private club in many ways. There'd be a group of us. That was our part of the bar. That's where we all met. Anyone else, any newcomers, any passers-by that had just popped in for a drink, they didn't come round and interfere with our part of the bar. That was ours. We were the regulars. We were the locals. We almost owned the pub. You know, it was our pub. Great fun. Absolutely great fun. We've got a bowling green just uh, not too far from where we live. And a lot of the old boys, well, I say old boys, I mean my age, 70, they do the bowling. It's a, it's a club, a bowling club. But that's not my sort of thing. I don't know why. I can't fit in, even though I'm an old boy now, I can't fit in with old boys. I don't want to go bowling. I'm not talking about 10-pin bowling. That's great fun. On the green, you know, on the on the bowling green, it looks like it might be interesting, but the people there look ancient. And with all due respect, if anyone's listening and you're old and you go bowling, well, great. It's just not my sort of thing. I think this might sound daft. I think I got spoilt in my youth by where I worked. Great fun. Where I worked was like a club. It was brilliant. The people I knew were fantastic. The places we went to, the clubs we went to in Brighton, the pubs we went to, it was all fantastic. I think that spoilt me. And now, if someone was, were to say to me, well, there's the bowling club, or why don't you go and have a go at tennis? I don't want to play tennis. <laughs> That's boring. I couldn't do that anyway. My knee hurts and my shoulder hurts. I know one or two people of my age, they, they go swimming once a week. I don't want to go swimming. I want to go to a pub where there's a jukebox playing, playing the latest records. Well, not the latest records these days. Stone the Crows. I mean, proper music from the good old days, from the 60s. The old jukebox playing and people up at the bar and the chink of glasses. It was great. It was just, I, I must stop going on about it. Going to end up in tears. No, 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 I'm not really. But it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Yes, of course, there are pubs now where people go and meet. It's just so different. I don't know, it's just so different. I've got my radio hobby, of course. I chat to people on the radio. There's a good crowd of us, uh, especially locally, that chat on the radio and further afield. That's good. And what we do have now are family gatherings, whether it's summer or winter, obviously in the summer or in the garden. And that's great. Sit out there, there's loads of us, all the family. We have up to 30 members of the family. Can you believe that? Up to 30. Loads of family turn up. There's the kids and there's grandkids and there's nieces and nephews. Fantastic fun. And even in the in the winter, we'll have people around. We'll sit in the dining room and the lounge, got the coal fire going, got the, the fridge stocked up with beer and wine, and we've got a load of food. You know, it, it's great fun. 
it's not the same as the pub. I know a lot of people these days, they, they go out for meals. We, we don't. I don't particularly like just going out for a meal. It's, I mean, we can afford it, but it just seems to me it's expensive. And I don't know. We do sometimes, don't get me wrong. I mean, Trish doesn't want to do all the cooking all the time, so we do sometimes. Or we'll have a takeaway delivered. That's quite good. I mean, that's something we didn't have back in the old days. If you wanted a, a takeaway, you had to go and get it. Well, there was only the fish and chip shop or the Chinese initially. There was nothing else. You didn't have sort of Thai restaurants and whatever else. They've got all sorts of different restaurants that deliver food. You know, we didn't have any of that. So we do have quite a lot of socialising going on at home with the family. And, of course, with a few friends. We've got quite a few friends that are reasonably local. But that doesn't replace that community kind of pub spirit atmosphere. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's that. That's enough of that. Otherwise, you'll all be going to see. You'll all be going up the pub now, saying to the landlord, "Can't you get rid of all this food? Can't we get back to some serious drinking? You know, people here eating meals. Chuck out that lot. Let's get let's get some serious beers in and get some serious drinking done. <laughs> Forget all this eating. I remember when I was young, none of us would have a meal before we went out because that way you, you didn't have to spend so much money on drink because a few beers on an empty stomach and you felt quite dizzy and that was enough. So you'd save money on drink and then have something to eat later. I used to get in. I remember I used to get home from the, a club or a pub or wherever, tin of beans and half a loaf of bread. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Because a few beers, you end up starved. So get home. Everyone used to do the same. I talked to my friends. They do the same. They get home, raid the fridge, raid the, the cupboards, have a load of food. Oh dear. And of course, later on in life, as, as we got a little bit older, we'd come out of the pub at half 11 at the weekend, then go over to the local Indian, all pile in there and have curry. Can you imagine? Oh, my poor stomach now. I couldn't do that now. We'd all sit in there till sort of one o'clock in the morning, eating curry and having more beer. I don't know. And smoking. Stung the crows. And then the next day we're up up early, bright and early. If I do have a late night now, for whatever reason, say I don't get to bed till midnight, one o'clock, that wrecks me for a couple of days. That's it. I'm wiped out. I'm tired. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I feel ill. No, I don't. I don't feel ill. I'm going to end this here because uh, you're all dying to get up the local pub and see what it's like now. In fact, I could go up the pub. It's now, where are we? It's four o'clock. Tricia, bless her, she's gone to London with who is it? Uh, how many? One daughter, two granddaughters and her sister. They've all gone to London to see Mamma Mia at the O2. I didn't want to do that. I can't do that. Mamma Mia at the O2. Good grief. But what I could do, our club's open. It's only around the corner. I could wander around there and have a beer. But I won't. I won't do that. I've been left dinner. So I've got to sort that out. I've been told how to do it all. This goes in the oven at that temperature and gas marks something or other. And I forget the whole thing. I forget all the instructions. So I'm going to have to sort that out a bit later. But what I have got is a couple of beers in the fridge, just at the right temperature. So I'm going to say goodbye to you. Thanks for listening as always. Have a good week. And I shall talk to you on Wednesday for the midweek message and see you next Sunday. Take care. Bye bye for now.